0: Welcome one, welcome all to another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. I'm your host in New London, Connecticut, Carl Franklin, and my co-host in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, with the flu, who sounds like a blues singer, will you please welcome Saturated Fats.
1: Yes, thank you very much. (laughs) I'm recovering. You're almost ready, you're almost uh, better. Yeah, that's right. I had dinner at Wendy's tonight, so Saturated Fats fits pretty well. (laughs) <laughs> so what's up, Mark? Oh man, not much. I uh I've kind of been under the weather this week, so I'm I'm not sure what's going on in the world. Uh eh, not much. You're not missing anything. Ah, good. Good to hear. Well, um so Microsoft hasn't changed the uh, the name of anything this week, huh? Well, as a matter of fact, yeah, they're in the middle of a uh
0: uh well, they're not in the middle, they're on the forefront of a rebranding push that always sends chills up and down my spine when i hear the word rebranding especially when i think about all the time and effort that i've put into uh you know being a dot net brand but let me just um give you the give you the skinny uh this is important stuff people uh what what microsoft has decided is that the dot net name is too diluted and they're right it is very diluted they have been using it everywhere They've been using it as a ubiquitous term for this new technology, this new uh, framework as the development environment, uh, visual Basic, .NET, the language they've been using it for their servers. The they they going to
1: rename notepad, dot uh, dotnet notepad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know.
0: Well, what the whole idea is that they want to take the words .NET out of things that don't have anything to do with web services. And, uh, yeah, you know, I I have mixed feelings about this. I'll tell you the truth and a lot of people do. I'm I'm trusting that they're going to make the right decision. Of course it means a little more work for us. I think really it's not for developers this rebranding. Developers are always going to call you know and then .net handles the memory like, you know, they're always going to say things like that. And I don't think I don't think there's anything Microsoft can do to to change that colloquial language, but to the the problem is in selling, you know, what .NET is, uh, they've muddied the waters by using it everywhere. So they want to refocus that uh, on just using the, the .NET framework with web services. That's going to be called um, .NET. So they're pointing the word .NET more to web services than they are to the framework. Right. Now, it's still going to be called the .NET framework. Okay? I know it's a little confusing and... Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if and and here's here's the epitome of confusing. I got an email from somebody who read an InfoWorld article about this saying, "So VB.NET's going away?" You know. So they're completely rewriting .NET. You know, people don't get it. They don't especially developers. They hear stuff like .NET is changing and they, you know, they think technical Uh, And here's the thing, folks. Nothing is changing, technically. The only thing that's changing is Microsoft's what they call things. And uh, that's going to change. And probably the best best argument I've heard out of Redmond for this rebranding comes from thinking about Longhorn. Longhorn is the uh, code name for the version of Windows that comes after XP Server, where the framework what we call the .NET Framework, I guess it's still called the .NET Framework, is built into the operating system. So those things that we get as a benefit from targeting applications to the framework are now features of Windows, not features of .NET. You understand? So it's going to cause some serious mayhem. And I think all of us in the developer community have a, a duty to clarify, to business people, and to other developers that nothing technically is changing, nothing's going away. The language VB.NET isn't going away. Microsoft is just refocusing what they call, what they use the .NET moniker to identify. So I'm sure you're going to hear more about that in the future. Uh, We certainly have been beating the drum of, you know, lousy marketing here a little bit, maybe a little bit too much, I don't know. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. will have to wait and see what happens. We'll have to wait and see what happens. So, Mark, you said you had been out of the loop lately on world events?
1: Yeah, man. I've uh, just been kind of hanging out in the bed trying to get well.
0: So our guest tonight is, if I could quickly shift gears to the show, is uh, Paul Sheriff. He's a Microsoft-certified pro. He's considered one of the leading VB programmers in the industry. Uh, he writes many articles a year for several magazines on VB, SQL Server, and web development. Very much into ASP.NET right now. Uh, also speaks at conferences all over the place, including uh, Tech Ed, uh Microsoft Developer Days. He's uh, spoken at lots of places, and he's also done over 70 training videos on VB, wow. SQL Server, and web development. You can access his website at www.pdsa.com dot com. Welcome, Paul.
2: Hey, thanks, guys. Glad to be here.
1: We're glad to have you with us, Paul. Absolutely. So, where are you at tonight, Paul?
2: I'm out in Southern California. That's my home home base here. Actually, up at my good friends Ken Getz, who I know has also been on your show. Yeah, uh, he kindly loaned me his office tonight. So.
0: Hey, Ken. How are you? If you're listening <laughs> out
2: there. Ken's actually out. He's out uh, having dinner. So.
0: As well, he should this time of night. Yeah. That's good. So uh, where where in uh, Southern California I used to live out there?
2: Well, actually, I live down in Orange County, um, actually in Irvine. Oh, cool. And, uh, just happened to be up in L.A. today teaching, so uh, I just uh, stopped up here because Ken was just about 15 minutes uh, from there, and it made it easier for me just to get to a landline for you guys.
1: Awesome. Cool. What, what are you teaching this week, Paul?
2: Uh, teaching at L.A. County Assessor's Office. They're uh, learning about uh, ASP.net, so I'm actually doing a five-day class there for them.
1: Terrific. Oh, yeah. Cool topic.
2: Yeah. Terrific.
0: Yeah, I used to I used to live in uh the San Bernardino area, Loma Linda. Yep, know where that is. I lived there for two weeks before I realized there were mountains. It's uh an amazing experience. You know, everybody seems to have a little respiratory problem there. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know anybody who didn't wheeze.
2: That is probably true, yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I enjoyed it uh while I lived there. So um What are the now? There's a lot of training that we've been talking about. You're doing training this week, but uh, you do development as well. What are some of the types of .NET applications you've done?
2: Well, we got in. I got into .NET personally back in the Beta One days, so it's been about what two and a half years now. Wow, time flies, doesn't it? Yeah. And since then, I um, have developed you know quite a bit of training material and uh, really dived into it a lot. But you know, our our major focus at our company is uh, outsourcing, so we actually do a lot of applications for uh, many different clients, and we had a lot of clients jump into beta, too, and did some early adopter stuff, and uh, most of it was ASP.NET apps. We've done about eight, I think, yeah, probably about eight big uh, ASP.NET installations and two uh, desktop applications, one with web services, which was kind of fun, so just a lot of different things for, you know, Transamerica, uh, on, let's see, where else we do Auto Club? Um, We actually did an integration with eBay, which was kind of fun.
0: Oh, nice. Using web services, obviously?
2: Um, Actually, that one was just really a a site. They got a little link off of their site that people can go to if they're trying to verify the authenticity of, like, a baseball that's for sale there. And uh, so it was kind of interesting. They passed us information. We would you know, pass that information on to an authenticator who would actually authenticate that the baseball was real right online. It was pretty cool.
0: cool. Neat. Very cool. Yeah. Do you have a... A lot of success stories, then, uh, from people that you've taught and and people that you've worked for?
2: Absolutely. I mean, we actually publish a lot of case studies right on our website. So, you know, you can always check out our website there. Um, We have it under customers. There's a link for case studies. We actually write up a little case study short. They're like two pages that just kind of describe the technology, what we did, you know, the business problem, and talk about some of the things that we use to help them solve their problems. Um, Usually we're working with their teams, right? I mean, because we're going in. Right. And they've got an IT department, and uh, we're just kind of helping them, assisting them with architecture because, you know, everybody being new to .NET, they really want to approach it the right way.
1: Right, yeah. Well, you know, Paul, I've got uh, kind of a multi-pronged question for you. Uh, having developed a lot of applications already, uh, one thing that I, I remember from looking at your uh, your website uh, quite a while back, you had a sort of a framework out there or a shell that... Uh, that worked well for developing client-server applications with VB and SQL Server. Uh, Have any best practices kind of emerged uh, from the work you've done with .NET? And uh, the second part is, do you plan to uh, develop a similar framework uh, for .NET apps?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Anybody who knows me knows if they take one of my training classes, I'm going to really push standards on people and, and really architecture and kind of the best ways to do things. Because that's what we do. We, I learn by going in and working with a lot of clients and developing applications. And as you guys know, when you do that, you really learn probably a lot more than the customer does, really. <laughs>
1: sure. <laughs> that's absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah.
2: And that's what makes it really fun. And then what I'm really good at is taking that and then really making it into a design pattern. Okay. So I do that. And that's what I did before. I had frameworks. I had tool sets that helped us generate code. And, obviously, we've done that same thing in .NET now. After two and a half years of working with this, we have found out about a lot of the best practices, things you do for the maximum flexibility on a web app, maximum performance, um, how to cut size down if you're on a slow WAN. We've had that happen several times. And so it's a lot of these things. We've put together a .NET framework, and, actually, it's up on our website again. You can actually go there. It's called the PDSA .NET Productivity Framework.
0: Very
3: cool.
2: Yeah, exactly. It helps people get started a lot quicker than you'd be able to from scratch, yeah. Well,
0: that's excellent, Paul. What do you think of the application blocks that Microsoft is doing?
2: You know, actually, um, it's kind of funny because, like, the data access application block that they put out, I think that was, like, the first one they put out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately, I'd already developed my own (laughs) before that came out. Um, But I did the same thing, yeah. So you wrap wrap up ADO.net because that really is a good thing to do. I mean hey, you guys have been around for a while. How many, you know, sure. we've been through VB SQL, ODBC API, ADO, RDO. How many O's have we been through? Yeah, O oh, too many. Oh too many. That's right. And, you know, <laughs> we're probably going to see some other stuff, and we're probably going to see some changes to ADO.net. And what I'm trying to do always is, hey, isolate that code away, right, so that if something does change, you just have to change it in one place. Of course. And that's why I like their application blocks because they are – guiding people now towards that type of philosophy. And I think that's a great philosophy to have.
0: Sure. It's good to just have some good sample code out there, too. Not, a, You know, I learn a lot from samples.
2: Absolutely. I think most developers learn best by looking at other people's code.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yep. And unlike a lot of Microsoft stuff sometimes, that stuff I found very well documented and pretty decently written, actually.
0: You uh, have done a lot of work with ASP.NET, um what are the kind of, some kind of tips you can give the listeners for, oh, I don't know, laying out pages for flexibility, um, you know, special methods that you place into each page or, or any kind of uh, design patterns that you can share with us?
2: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, you know, if we take kind of your first thing, I think, maximum flexibility, right? You know, how do you really architect a website? Because so, as we all know, websites change, and they should change. Right, You want people to come back and see something new. And that's a problem because, I mean, you only got so many resources to throw at a website and then so many resources to help maintain it. And one of the things that we always make sure we're doing for each of our websites is we're taking advantage of user controls and server controls. User controls are fantastic for things like headers. You know, if you've got a standard header that runs across every page. Perfect example of where to use a user control. And then your left navigation area. Right. Okay, again, that's an area that can change, right? So you stick in a user control there, and now that sits on every page. And if you want to make a change, you make the change in one place in that user control. Kind of goes that that same philosophy we were just talking
1: about, right? Wrapping stuff up so that you only go to one place. Yeah, there's not really a reason to use server-side includes anymore now, is there? A... You know, a user control is really better.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I look at a user control as, as, you know, a server-side include on steroids.
0: Right. right. Okay. As a programmable object.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean unfortunately, you know what? I don't like the name user controls. Remember in the beta days, they called it a pagelet.
0: Yeah.
3: Now, I like
2: that name cuz that really describes more of what it is. It's a portion of a page.
0: I do wish, however, you could get to it without having to find it. You know, if you could just you fu- u- access the control by by its uh instantiated name.
2: Yeah. Because when you drag that user control on that page, you do have to go in and add the variable yourself if you want to access it.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Little things like that, I find, uh, can be barriers to to getting stuff done.
2: Right. Right. And you got to remember. But that's why we're here. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) But you (laughs) also got to remember, user controls, you know, are really for a particular site. Yes. Um, You know, and so that's something that you always got to be aware of. So if you have something that's very site specific, user controls are wonderful. However, server controls, right? Those are the ones where those are DLLs, and those can be used across multiple sites. Okay, and taking good advantage of those things. I mean, we written uh, some. We wrote one for a bank one time, a server control, because they had some very specific security requirements. I mean, being a bank, they're going to be really checking for things like uh, SQL injection attacks, for example. Right, or things like somebody passing show data on the URL line, or anything right. else that could, you know, passing trying to pass in an exe name, for example, in an input box. Right. Okay? So that's an excellent example of a very good reusable server control that you can build to filter out all of that and check for all of that. So instead of using the regular text box from ASP.NET, inherit from it, create a server control, and do all of those checks, you know, right in the code. And that you can use all over the place on every application you develop within that bank. Good advice. Yeah, so those are things, some of the things that we've kind of, you know, come up with for making sure we have maximum flexibility, being able to change things in one place and it affects the whole website. Yeah. Well,
1: what about performance with uh, with output caching? Have you uh, have you done much with uh, user controls and uh, setting the attribute up to have them uh, output cached?
2: Oh yeah, that's you know especially prevalent for user controls that don't. Change you know that are pretty right. static. Um, you definitely want to take advantage of the output cache directive, okay? Because um, user controls, I mean, we typically use for things like our headers, our left nav, and stuff like that. And by caching that information, obviously that saves a lot of processing time on the server. Sure. Yeah. So
1: that's that's an excellent point. One thing when I teach that immediately makes sense to everyone when I explain how output caching works. Uh, you know, the light bulbs go on. It, that's not a hard sell to get across. It's the easiest way that you can make your app more scalable. Fastest and easiest way.
0: Absolutely. Hey, Paul, um, I'd like to uh, point out in my classes some things that necessarily don't work as you'd expect them to. Are there any sort of uh, gotchas or tips about working with ASP.net that where, you know, you found something that might have been a little bit non-intuitive that you can uh, sort of help our listeners get around
2: oh yeah <laughs> one of the I, you know there's a couple of different areas where there's a couple of gotchas that if you're not careful i mean i'm sure everybody's hit this at one time you're programming along everything's working great and you go to lunch and you come back and all of a sudden that same piece of code that wasn't that was working before is now not working yeah. boy you pull your hair out <laughs> trying to figure this out right okay then you do all the normal you say stuff. what
1: did i eat yeah what did i eat <laughs> <laughs> It's Taco Bell. No. That's
2: right. Got some of that taco sauce on the keyboard, and that was it, man. You know? Got into the uh, what, oh my, boy. Uh, my little data card there, and it's gone.
0: You're hosed. Um,
2: yeah. So you do the normal stuff, right? You shut down Visual Studio, and you hope that's going to help it, and it doesn't. So, well, there's a couple areas. Um, and I actually I wonder if I, I think I made a document of this at one time. I'm going to try to pull that documentation. I'll get it to you guys so you can put it on your website. Okay? But, Great. One of the things there's two areas and that is your vs web cache uh, folder okay which is under tools options in visual studionet you can set up the location of your vs web cache okay now what that does is basically when you're in the development mode they cache a whole bunch of kind of intermediary stuff out there and sometimes it just gets a little corrupted it gets off a little bit from what's in your project versus what's in the web cache so what you do is you find out where that vs webcache folder is located, and I believe it's stored by default under your C colon, documents and settings, your username, visualstudio.net, right? All that stuff. Right. Okay? Clear that out. Just delete the whole folder. Okay? No harm, no foul. It doesn't matter. And Visual Studio.net will rebuild it for you. Okay?
3: Very cool. So that's,
2: I think that is probably one of the biggest areas where you'll find stuff. And by the way, kind of while we're on that, just your temp folder. Yeah. Does everybody know where their temp folder is located? you got to clean that critical. out. Boy, I'll tell you, I, I went to a guy's house the other day. He had oh, like 800 files in his temp folder because he hadn't cleaned it out ever. Yeah, and That that one can help you too.
0: Well, your programs are supposed to clean them up, uh, but uh, sometimes they don't.
2: Yeah, installations are really bad about that Absolutely. sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then the other area um, for also your cleanup is also the uh, temporary ASP.net files. Right. Uh-huh. Okay, that's another area that sometimes will just get out of sync, and that can cause little problems. And that one's usually located under your Windows uh, folder, under Microsoft.net framework, version number, and then temporary ASP.net files. Again, uh, just restart your web service, okay, and then you can kill that folder, and it'll rebuild it next time.
1: Well, I got very interested at one point and uh, you know, in how ASP.net was able to uh, not require you to restart Uh, IIS, whenever you uh, deploy a new DLL. And uh, the more I looked into it, I found that, uh, you know, IIS is actually grabbing uh, a copy of that DLL that sits out in that very folder that you mentioned.
2: Yep. That's exactly how it works, right? Because that way the DLL that you have in your folder, in your bin folder, okay, that's why you can always replace it, and all they're doing is copying it over and compiling everything over there, right? And then what happens is they, they're they just doing some time checking, date and time checking and version checking, aren't they?
1: Well, I'm very grateful to the ASP.NET team that I don't have to run IIS reset every time I uh, compile a DLL. <laughs> exactly. however, however, that uh, that ASP reg IIS EXE
0: that comes with the framework, boy, I've been, I've been uh, swearing by that a lot. Uh, you know, I'll go to a site and I'll do a class like you have, I'm sure, Paul, some classes, some places where you go to do a class, they let you bring your own computers and everything's great because they're they all, all going to work. But uh, And I always try to talk people into that where we bring laptops. But typically, you get pe- oh, no, all the developers are going to bring their own laptops. And that's a nightmare. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, some people have installed ASP, then they install IIS, so they don't install things correctly. And they go to... Go to develop a web page and it doesn't work and they get debugger security problems and that this doesn't work and that doesn't work. Um, I'm sure you found that, Paul. Absolutely. When you're teaching the reg uh, util, the ASP reg IIS-EXE tool is uh, your fix-all for those kinds of problems.
2: Yep. Yeah. That copies over all those uh, UI, what is it, the web UI validation scripts and all of that. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah, before I discovered that, and I actually found that, Carl, when I uh, attended your one of the early master classes that you did. Right. Uh, prior to that, I had just been reinstalling uh, .NET completely. Yeah, me too, reinstalling the framework.
0: Hey, Carl here. I was just uh, flipping through MSDN Magazine in the March issue, and uh, since we're talking about ASP.NET with Paul Sheriff, uh, I thought I'd mention a great article under the ASP.NET column heading, Nine Options for Managing Persistent User State in Your ASP.NET Application by Stephen A. Smith. And um, he talks about uh, using the application object, cookies, uh, putting a hidden form field in the, in the form, in the HTML form, using the query string object, the sessions, um, using new state containers in ASP.NET, uh, using the cache, using a context object, using view state, using web config and machine config files, and uh, all the differences in performance and in uh, options and flexibility that you get with them. So, uh, if you're, you know, concerned about maintaining state and uh, and its effects on performance, check it out. You can also check it out online right now for free at MSDN.microsoft.com/slash/MSDNmag, and go to the current issue to the ASP.NET column, and there you'll see it under Features, ASP.NET. Now, let's get back to our show with uh, Paul Sheriff talking about more ASP.NET features and and tips and tricks. Right here on .NET Rocks. Don't you go away. What about exceptions? Exceptions are difficult to deal with in the web because you don't have that real-time exception object flowing down to the client where you can work with it and and all that. Uh, What's your strategy for dealing with exceptions?
2: Yeah, good good question. And that actually kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, right? Those Microsoft application blocks. Sure. Um, Because that was the second one they released. And these application blocks, by the way, folks, you can find out there. Just do a search on uh, msdn.microsoft.com, and you can actually find uh, the – just search on application blocks, and you'll see they're kind of over under the architecture group. And they're the group actually releasing these.
0: We're actually going to have uh, somebody from that group on on the show here soon. Oh, fantastic. Talking about them.
1: Or they call them Blue Bricks, is that – That's it. The yeah, Blue Google. Bricks.
2: Yeah. yeah, they've got like three more that are going to be coming out this summer. Yeah. Uh, for, you know, the new version, VS Net 2003. So that'll be kind of fun to look at. What do you think of to. that?
0: What do you think of VS2003?
2: Oh, I love it. I love it. I think they've made a lot of great enhancements there.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: Are you I... doing anything with the compact framework, uh, you know, programming things like IPACs yet?
2: We actually haven't had any clients really requesting any of those. I mean, we've done a couple of little things just so we are familiar with what to do, uh, but we actually haven't had any uh, clients ask us for that yet. So, no, we haven't actually done anything.
0: I always suggest, um, when I'm dealing with architecture people, about designing a system, I always suggest to ask them if they can see how using a mobile device, if they could have a seamless programming environment for it, you know, could they take advantage of that? I don't think a lot of people think of it as a tool that's an option for them, and that's why you don't see a lot of adaptation. I, I think you have to be a little creative to to uh, come up with a use for them.
2: Yeah, there's right. there's some places they are really good for you know you're out on an inventory floor or something. Hospitals. You know, some of those yeah. hospitals are great. Yeah, anything like that.
1: Oh, uh, before I got you off on the mobile computing tangent, uh, yeah, Paul, you were about to, to tell uh, us about the uh, exception Exceptions, block. right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, we use that. Um, we really took that to heart. Um, what they do is they give you an exception handler that is a default publisher, and this publishes by default to the NT event log. Which you can hit problems with ASP.NET apps, by the way, because if you, ASP.NET doesn't generally have rights to create a new event source, because that does require writing to the registry. I
0: found event logs have problems anyway, even in Windows. Yeah. Files.
2: So that's one of those other little gotchas there. But right. what we did is we took that whole exception handler and we added on our bunch of our own classes. So we got the ability to write to a SQL Server table, the ability to write to a file, and the ability, which is a great one, write to email. Cool. Yeah, again, it's a design pattern you set up. So the first line in your catch block is always exceptionmanager.publish. And what that does is it loops through your config file and finds these entries and says which publishers are on that I can publish to. So I can turn them on and off, you know, at my whim, basically. But yep. I'll tell you, one of the coolest ones to do is the email one. Because here was a scenario we did. We had a client who was testing on our application remotely, so they were at their site. But what we did is we turned on the email capability. So what was happening is they were running, they would get errors. Okay, we told them, hey, just record all your errors. But we were already getting the exceptions in our email, and we were fixing them. So by the time they came back to us with the list of exceptions, we'd already fixed them.
0: Yeah. You know, that's a, I don't like to blow my own horn, but that's a trick that I discovered about the same time I discovered email. That uh, that was a really, really good use for internet programming, Yep. is uh, sending Sending exception information to the developers by email.
2: Yeah, that's Great. that's really cool. Uh, very, what's really nice cool. is these application blocks give you a nice design pattern again. You know, now you still have to report the user back to the error. You know, the error back to the user at some point, right? You still got to get it on that web page, and so you'll have to come right. up with some way to do that as some well. Some big honking red label publishing.
1: <laughs> some big honking red label or something.
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: Whistling or using
1: the uh, error event to. Uh, to catch things in the global asax file.
2: Yeah, good question. I mean, there's you know so many different ways. I mean, what do you do? I mean, obviously, hopefully you're still using try and catch, okay? But you know, what happens if you forget a try and catch or something you weren't expecting, and you do get an unhandled exception uh, in your page? They're ugly. Yeah, they are. Ooh. There's a lot of ways to handle that, right? Um, one of the things you can do is create your own base page class. All right, what does that mean? Well, you know how at the top of every uh, class that you create in your web form. It says inherits system.web.ui.page, right? Right. Okay. Well, just like anything in .NET, we can inherit from that. Okay? So what you do is you create your own base page class that inherits from that, and you override the on-error event. Okay? And then in the on-error event, what do you do? You call the exception manager .publish. Okay? Very and then cool. you call back to the regular on-error. And then what you can do is put in the custom errors element inside of your web config to redirect to a specific page. Okay, and then that page, that way you never get the, you know, that really ugly page we've all gotten before right. when you get an error. Yeah, Sure. You can override that so the user would never see that. They'd see a nice page, okay, that says, hey, we're sorry, we can't process your request right now because you're an idiot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't our jobs be so much easier without oh, no. users? If
0: we could just be honest. Right? <laughs> All right, first of all, put the crack pipe down. <laughs> Second of all, no. Um, do you find yourself using data readers for binding with ASP.NET more than you use data sets, or a good mix of both, or what's the deal there?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, um, There's been so much talk about this. You know, Which way do you go? Do you, do you use a data set? Do you use a data reader? Um, and really, it, it, it actually, we use both, to tell you the truth. Um, data readers are great for, hey, you've got to blast through and load up a uh, a drop-down list here. I gotta load up a data grid. Okay, very quickly. A data reader is always gonna be a little faster than a data set. I mean, you know, I find generally about 20-25% uh, speed difference between the two. So it's, right. you know, it, it can be significant depending on what you're doing. Okay? So that's great for that type of stuff. But a lot of times, okay, how many times have you seen this scenario? I'm loading up state codes, right? Um, into this cut, drop down over here on this page and this page and this page and this page. So I got you know five places. I'm loading up state codes. Well, I don't want to go back to the database every time. Sure. So that's an excellent use of a data set, right? As a cache. Grab it. Yeah. yeah. Put in the data set and cache that baby, right?
1: Right.
0: Very cool. Also, I would I would imagine use data sets if you need to update. Um, you know, if you're just reading data once. Sure. Pull it out into data data reader. Right. If you want to do any updates, of course.
1: Are you using the uh, cache object uh, to cache your data sets? I was just going to ask that question, Mark. Um,
0: yeah, I, of, I've I've seen that done, and I used to do it myself, and it's very quick. But does it scale? Are we going to have any problems if we if everybody uses the data set in the cache object?
2: Well, you know, again, you got to kind of look at the various ways there are to cache data, right? Where can you put data? I mean, when you need to keep it around, right? And there's the session object, there's the application object, there's the cache object. Um, You know, you could actually write it out to a SQL Server table, too, really, for that matter. Sure. Okay? It's kind of silly. read something from SQL Server and put it back in there, but I've seen it done. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And really, it kind of comes down to what you need, okay, and, and how long you want that data to be around. And let's talk about, like, session for a minute, right? If you put a data set in session and you forget about it, Okay, that thing's gonna live until the user gets off of that, that application. If that's a quite a large data set, you're taking up a lot of memory on that server, aren't you?
0: Times the number of right. users.
2: Yeah. That's right. One of the things I re- I mean, a session's great because it is per user. The cache object, is like the application object, is application-wide, right? Okay. Well, with the cache object, one of the things you can do is you can add data with a key value. The key value could actually be the session ID. So now you gotta back to per user again, don't you? Yeah. One of the great things about the cache object is you can actually time it out. You can put a time span on it and say, hey, keep this data around for the next five minutes, okay? And then if nobody hits it again, nobody uses it again, and just get rid of it. So now you're not waiting for the session to time out to get rid of that memory, okay? The cache is taking care of that for you. So that's kind of a neat technique to take advantage of.
0: Well, back to my question about performance and, and uh, about uh, all those. Let's say we have, you know, 20, 30 simultaneous users. And I have a data set and a cache object. There's one data set. And um, all of the different users are reading from it and updating and writing. I know you don't have, I know it's thread safe. You don't have to lock it before you use data in the cache. That's very cool. But uh, is that going to be a, bro- a bottleneck? Is that going to be a performance issue?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's always that potential for that. And that's you know that's why I said you got to kind of look at the usage of that. That cache object, right? Because that's one of the scenarios where, yeah, you know, anytime you're going after a single object, just like you're going after the application object, right? Okay, that could be a potential bottleneck. So yeah. You want to
0: do some definite performance testing. Have you uh, have you seen any other um, uh, performance testers, or what am I trying to say? Have you seen any other testing utilities besides the one that comes with Visual Studio? I know I've I've used Ants by Redgate, and I think it's great. Awesome tool. Uh, have you seen any others that you like?
2: Not really. I mean, we've been uh, we've been using the one that comes with .net uh hooking up a lot of our own performance monitors, uh you yeah. know, in, in a lot of cases we use just perfmon. Um and that seems to, you know, I'm usually able to performance tune pretty well with that. So Cool. Yeah.
0: All right. So um what about, you know, let's say we have uh some big data sets that we're using? Um, in an ASP.NET application or even a Windows application for that matter with web service or remoting or something. What uh, what kind of best practices do you have or, or tips or advice you can give the listener as to uh, economize the data that's going across the network?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, you know, a couple things there, right? I mean, number one, you got to look at trying to avoid things like select asterisk, right? I mean, when you only sure. need two columns, Hey, don't send a select asterisk down because you get all columns. So that would help limit things, right? Um, Common techniques that we've done is, you know, I I know a lot of people will just load up a drop-down list with all the values. When really the user is never going to scroll through all of them. They really kind of have a good idea of, hey, you know, I'm really looking for something that's in the in the A category. Okay, so they might give them a little uh, little text box and let them type in the first couple letters, then post back, or or if you're on a you know WinForms app. Send down a like. Hey, give me all records where, you know, the, the field name is like A, you know, and then percent sign, right? Use a wild card, because that limits a lot of that data.
3: Okay? Sure.
2: Um, one of the things, oh, we just ran into this, and just kind of reminded me here. We just ran into this at a company that has a wide area network, and they have a very small pipe, okay? Now, I didn't know this at the time. Um, they told us they had a 128K, you know, line for us, no big deal, um, then I found out that number one it's for 80 users. Oh
0: <laughs> and they're using access
2: Big omission there, huh <laughs> um, And that wasn't even the worst of it. Half of the pipe was dedicated to mainframe traffic. Oh okay now I'm down to 64 okay So it's getting better. Then the mainframe is also burstable and can has priority so it can take up the rest of that. jeez. <laughs> In some cases, I was getting 3 to 10K throughput on this pipe wow. for a web app.
0: <laughs> Insane. Okay?
2: Now, let me ask you something. You ever gone in and had a data grid that you loaded up, right, and it comes over on your ASP.net page, right? Have you ever gone in and done a view source? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. What's the biggest pro- What's the biggest section that you see in there?
0: That would be the, uh, I don't know, starts with view and ends with state.
2: There you go. But... That view state, right? Okay. Now... You know, you say, well, I gotta have the view state because I'm doing sorting on the data grid or, you know, I'm posting back and I gotta have the, I gotta have it recreate that data, right? Okay. (laughs) This one bit us because obviously I had a very small pipe to work with. Okay. I just happen to remember reading about two months ago in the February edition of MSDN Magazine, Dino Esposito had a fantastic article on how to save the state on the server. Okay. They built this into .NET. They realized this was going to be a problem. There are two methods that you take advantage of. There's load persistence, uh, what is it, (laughs) load view state from persistence medium and save state to persistence medium. These are built right in on the page class. Cool. So, again, all you have to do is override these methods, and you can then save the view state on the server. You could save it in a file or, hey, use that cache object we were just talking about. Right. Right. And any of this can be done so easily. And guess what? When we did this, it cut the size of our pages by an average of forty percent. Wow! Wow! Going out across that pipe—it was amazing. That's great. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, I'll get the I'll get the links for that too, you guys. But it's actually in the MSDN um, MSDN,
0: MSDN magazine, magazine.
2: February two thousand and three edition.
0: MSDN magazine is incredible.
2: Yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. And mm-hmm. Dino always has great articles on stuff. He does. Like this.
0: He really, he really puts a lot of thought into uh, solutions and publishes solutions. You know, he's always working, going way beyond just the technologies and simple demos. He's always picking really, really useful things to do with with his stuff, which I like.
2: Yeah, he's he's pretty cool, and I, I've read a lot of his articles. And that, I mean, I just happen to remember this because it just happened actually two weeks ago. This, this wow. kind of came up. You know, with this client. That's
0: cool. Have you heard of people also serializing the uh, web controls and, and saving those that way? No, I haven't it? heard of that one. I haven't either, but I just uh, thought of it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's <laughs> possible. We're going to have to try it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah i have try that one.
0: I've been getting into serializing recently. I've actually did some work with the binary formatter, and just easily, it's easy to just take an object and serialize it to a stream, a memory stream, Get the, get a an array of bytes out of it. Um, I just did some looking, but you know what's interesting? If you serialize a data set with a binary formatter and then you save that to a file, let's say, and you also just do a write XML, there isn't much difference. There really isn't much difference in the size, um, which was surprising to me. Interesting. So yeah. I'm I'm always interested in, in compression, um, this is a good time for me to mention, I found a great public domain compression library that uh, Ingo Raymer uh, points out in his excellent book on .NET remoting. In C-Sharp and VBnet, he has two books. And uh, it works great. It, it's public domain. It's written in C-Sharp, comes with source, and it does uh, zip-compatible compression, and it also does a whole bunch of other compatible, compatible compressions. But... Uh,
1: yeah, we've got to put the link up for that. Yeah, we'll uh, put the link up for that. What's the that. guy's Absolutely. name? Michael Kruger, is that right? Yeah,
0: yeah, right. And I found that, um, especially if you're using uh, remoting or sockets or any of these things, that you can compress a data set and send it to a client, which can then decompress it and really get a significant performance
1: benefit. Oh, that's a great idea, yeah. Yeah, that, that's one of those common sense things. that Absolutely. You know, you, you, you know it just... Seems apparent that we should somehow compress. We got all this raw power on these PCs. You know, it's not going to take any time at all to compress a data Right, right. And a zip format is, uh, you know, a well-known, tested algorithm. I swear they should put that into. I don't know. Are they putting compression into
0: web services? Do you know, Paul?
2: You know, I heard there. I heard there was a there was talk about that as one of the things definitely on the plates for the enhancements for web services. God, I yeah. hope so. I hope yeah, so. Yeah, that needs it.
0: It really is a dog.
2: You know, there's there's a lot of things you can do also. I mean, if you're on a WAN, for example, like that's what this particular WAP, uh application was. But on the WAN, you can also, in most cases, you can put on hardware compression. Yeah. And that was another problem that these guys had at this company is they didn't have their hardware compression on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you
2: know, right. between routers, right? Right, right. So that, you know, once they turned that on, that helped as well. So.
0: Now uh, If you remember back in the days of modems, I, it almost hurts me to say that, but... <laughs> Back in the days of modems, the uh, modems would do compression. Yeah. But uh, that's not the default, you know, with a with a 10 base T card.
2: But but the same thing. You still want the compression even on the on the you know larger pipes as well because it does right. help.
0: Right. Right. And it it wasn't you know, it wasn't always an option before because the processors weren't able to keep up with it. Yeah. But uh, yeah. now our our hardware is far out outperforming our software. Yeah. <laughs> hardware abounds. So, what other optimization techniques do you recommend for ASP.NET or even ADO.NET for that matter?
2: Yeah, well, you know, we got we we've, we've learned a few things. Um, well, some of the most you know obvious ones are like, hey, let's use client-side script whenever possible, right?
0: Hmm.
3: Um,
2: just especially for all the validation stuff. I mean, it's great because .NET actually gave us controls that do that um, using yes. things like the required field validator. Right.
0: Oh, the regular expression validator is incredible.
2: Oh, absolutely. I love that. Right. Because that just avoids so much post backing, right? And that's that's a good optimization there. Yeah. Okay. Um, You know, one that's kind of funny is actually kind of going back to view state a minute because what people don't realize is text boxes and check boxes, for example, the view state is set on by default, and you never need it really on those. That's right. You hardly ever need it.
0: Yeah, That's right.
2: You know, so that would be another good optimization. Labels, especially. Exactly. Things like that. Right.
0: A one-time message or something.
2: Yeah. Or even if you just got like a simple image. I mean, there's no reason to use the image server control. Just use the HTML control. It renders the exact same thing. Right. Um, Because HTML controls don't have to be instantiated as an object, whereas server controls do.
0: This is the first time somebody's mentioned the HTML controls that I can remember, Mark, on .NET Rocks. Yeah, that's right. Why don't you go ahead and tell the listener what those are? Okay,
2: well, basically a server control, as we all know, is under the Web Forms tab. Okay, and so those are the ones you drag and drop on. And you got to think about what's going on behind the scenes, right? What happens when the page renders is it has to dim an object for each one of those server controls that you've placed on the page. Think about a simple label. Yeah. Think about a simple image control. okay. Those are objects that then have to spin up and spit out. And what's the code it spins out? I'm sorry, it's just so basic, HTML 3.2 standard, yeah. and it's not going to do anything different for any browser. And so the, you might as well use the HTML controls. Just go to the HTML control tab and drag those on instead.
0: And the properties are the model that the browser uses, right?
1: Right. So the what the same properties you would access in JavaScript, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, if you're going to write dynamic HTML, you're going to need to do that anyway, right? That's right.
2: That's correct. So, you know, just little things like that can really save a lot of time. I think how many labels you could potentially put on a web page. Oh, Yeah. You know, I mean, they're just generating a span. Well, come on, you can write that yourself. <laughs> 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 you know, and it, it's funny, yeah, because I don't see a lot of people mentioning stuff like that. Okay. Also, well, the
0: fact that you can run them as server controls. So if you, like, want to use a standard password field, for example, then you right. could just right-click on it and say run as a server control. Then you get the events
1: and you get the properties and things you could set. That's them. correct. Well, hey, I have an oddball question, Paul. So are you are you a grid layout or a flow layout oh, kind of guy? Oh, <laughs>
2: there's a good question. I'm a flow layout guy.
1: Cool. Yeah. One of is us. That what you use? Uh, well, any anyone that's uh, that came from ASP is going to be a flow layout kind of guy. Uh, that's correct. You know, I, and this is another thing, Paul. That uh, when I'm showing ASP, not to
0: people, I'm sure you get this too. Um, the people who have never done web programming. Or the people who have done ASP programming, maybe they've done some web programming, any kind of web programming, see ASP.net net and say, this is awesome. Yep. The people who have only done Windows programming say Yeah. So yeah, like a big hairy deal. What's, what's uh, the
1: deal what's
0: the big deal? So you get a button with an event and you set a label text property. Yeah, exactly. I don't get it. You know
1: what's the why is everybody so happy about this, right? Well, I tell you uh, one thing that I do uh, sometimes, especially doing demos in class. I'll go ahead and leave it in grid layout, to, uh, lay the page out, and then I'll go change the target schema. And instead of using absolute positioning, it'll go ahead and build tables for you. Uh, have you looked into I doing that? that.
2: On? Yeah. Yeah, why did why did you do that? Because you know, I, I know I know why I do that, but why did you do that?
1: Well just to cut down on having to uh to generate all those tables and, and lay them out. I mean it, it right. builds the table for you. I didn't though. know it did that. Does it space them out accordingly? Uh well no, you can you can still run into uh to some layout problems with yeah. it because it's not doing absolute positioning. Okay. So you know you wind up having to go back and edit usually the tables uh by hand a little bit, but it it definitely saves you some time. I generally tell people that we're gonna use grid layout mode in the class because this
0: is not a class in HTML design. And we could get so lost in the table editor, oh, my God, you know. Right. we get so lost in the table editor, we'd never get any code written. So um, so that's what I tell people. I do show them flow layout mode, but, you know, to move the class along, I say we're going to use grid. But in the real world, mm, uh, problems. If you got large fonts, you know, yep. a cl- client with large fonts, you're going to have overlapping fields. Right. It's not yep, good.
2: And that's the number one problem right there you know people use the grid layout and then they give it to somebody who, you know, can't see very well and they've just gone in and set their text size to largest. Yep. And all of a sudden, boy, this this page looks like crap.
3: Yep.
1: I can't <laughs> read it. <laughs> I had a guy at one point telling me how the validation controls just don't work right. And I said, "Well, what what's wrong with them that they don't work right?" And he said, "Well, there's a property that's supposed to allow them to collapse in, and uh, it just doesn't work." And what he was doing was using grid layout so, of course it it positioned the validation control absolutely, and it it wouldn't let it collapse into right. the side of the control yep um what do you th- what do you think about um uh smart
0: navigation The well, smart navigation property
2: yeah, I mean, we've used it when we knew that the target was i e obviously because yeah. that's the only thing you're gonna really do
1: yeah uh, well I think Netscape six supports it now, doesn't it yeah, the browser has to support iframes as, yeah. you know, the you know, requirement. Actually,
2: we had some problems, though, with smart navigation and, the, uh, and Netscape. Ah. So, um, even on Netscape 6, we did have, it didn't always get there.
0: Well, I'll tell you what is a problem is if you have a list box on your form, it's going to refresh and redraw anyway. Right. And uh, that's num- problem number one. I, I also ran into a couple of weird problems that I, I just didn't, I don't remember, I just remember they didn't make any sense, and I turned smart navigation off and everything worked fine, so. Yeah. I guess my gut feeling is that if you're writing for for IE only, that's great, but if you're writing for IE only, that means they have Windows, that means they have IE, the latest version, they should just install the framework and you should write a Windows app, so that's all i got to say about that, but, uh.
2: No, I mean when we've done it we were, you know, we were targeting IE only, so we knew that we could use that and so we'd used it and it does, you know, it does speed stuff up a little bit.
0: Hey, does your company have a group of eight or more developers that are fluent in V B four, five or six? Or maybe even V B three. And you're looking to move to V B net or Asp.net? And uh, you're really sort of throwing around a lot of different options. Well, listen, Mark Dunn and myself both do on-site training. We will customize a class for you. We'll bring our laptops. If you can get a conference room and eight or more people together, we'll come to you. And we'll customize a class just for your needs. So if you want to focus more on Windows forms or web forms, or maybe you don't even want to do ADO.net, maybe you want to learn how to write flat files or something like that. Maybe you want to see what are the alternatives to web services. Maybe you want to learn .NET Remoting. Maybe you want to learn multi-threading and all of those things that go along with it. We can do anything. Just give us a call. Uh, Go to www.franklins.net or you can call us toll-free at area code 877-273-4838. Talk to my man Todd Collinsby and he'll set you up. Now let's get back to this incredible show where... uh, Paul Sheriff is talking to us about where we store connection strings in an ASP.NET application. It gets good and it just keeps getting better, folks. Stick around.
2: You know, it kind of reminded me of one other thing. I'm going to kind of interject here, but, um, you know, one of the things that when you talk about performance, you also got to talk a little bit about, okay, where do you store your application variables? I mean, what are you guys using? Are you putting it in web config? You know, are you putting in sure. the registry? You know, what what are you guys doing personally?
0: Me, um, for like uh, configuration strings that are sensitive.
2: Yeah, you know, well, yeah, connection strings, right? You connection know. strings. Where are you storing that stuff?
0: I'll typically store them encrypted in the config file. And I, I have I actually put file.
1: some stuff in just XML files uh, on the server.
0: I have a uh, whether it's a config file or it's a text file or an XML file. I have a, a thing that I build into components as a as a dynamic property, which is the a encrypted um, connection string. So it writes it out, encrypted, it, it reads it in, decrypts it, and
2: uses right. that. Right. And then how are you retrieving that data? Are you using the system.configuration, configuration settings.app settings to retrieve I, that? I've done it both ways. Right. I've
0: done it as a dynamic property.
2: Okay. So that Which is r- using app settings underneath the hood.
0: Yeah. So, exactly, but you don't have to specifically go out and use it. Right. I've done that, and I've done app settings.
2: So. Okay. And I've right. also
0: just written it out to a text file. Okay. I read it in as a text file. You can do that, too. Nothing right. wrong with text files, folks.
2: Nothing wrong with that. I just wanted to mention one thing here, okay? Because app settings is actually pretty darn slow, okay? Mm. And the reason why it's so slow is because they're actually rereading the web config file every time. And they have to do that, because have you ever gone in and changed that dynamically, your web config, and then you save it, and it'll pick it up right away, won't it?
0: Well, in an ASP application, your web config gets read in whenever it changes. I'm sorry, what? That, that's what I think Paul just said. Yeah, and in, in an ASP app, your web config gets re-read whenever it changes.
2: Okay, but with app settings, it's actually rereading it every single time huh. you hit it. And I found this out because there's another way to do where you're still reading from WebConfig, but it caches everything at one time.
3: Mm -hmm, Okay, and there's mm -hmm.
2: what's called a custom class that you can create that you implement the iConfigurationSectionHandler interface. Cool. Okay, now what happens is you actually call a method called getConfig, and you give it the name of the configuration section you want. Okay, and then it'll call your class, and it's got an interface, and there's a create method, and it'll pass the whole XML node to you at one shot. Turn it into a name-value collection, and you can read uh, them all and cache them in your own local variables.
1: Cool, man! I did not know that. Seems now, like
2: an you're... awful
0: lot of work just to read some data from a file. That's why I'm yeah, typically but, using text files.
2: Yeah, you set this up one time, and what happens? I mean, because I did some timings on this, and you know, to read something from app settings takes about takes about 250 milliseconds on average. Huh? When I used this custom class, okay, it took 30 milliseconds. Cool. It was amazing. And it's not that hard to set up. It's actually documented. Um, actually, I think I just wrote an article on that. So on I'm that imagining.
0: 64K connection, that must have saved you a lot of time.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. So, you know, but just little things like that, because that was, that was to me, very amazing, because what they do is then they 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 put up a, they set up a dependency on the web config file so that when it changes, it automatically takes your whole section and passes it to your class again and says, hey, this area changed. Here That's you cool. go.
0: That's very wow. cool. It is. Yeah.
2: So... Same thing like a lot of people say, well, for security, my people don't let me put things in the web config, so we had to put it in the registry.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't okay. do that.
2: Yeah, the registry is fantastic. No problem. Except, Unless you have to read
0: sure, Windows.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but make sure you, again, read it from the registry once and then cache it because right. reading from the registry, 650 milliseconds on average.
0: Oh, yeah. Registry's slow.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you know things like that can just really make a big difference i mean you know when we're talking about performance right
1: oh, so what's great. the uh, downside to reading and writing directly to uh, a text file which we all agreed was okay
2: well again what you want to do is read that one time right and cache it now this is this is where that cache object can come in very handy right exactly one of the things you can do on a cache object is you can set up a dependency <laughs> so that if that text file changes it'll invalidate the cache and you can have a, a callback method that you can put on that And guess what? It'll read it back in.
0: Cache is awesome.
2: Yeah. Right. It is really cool.
0: And uh, I don't don't know if... I don't think uh, Java has cache, does it? I don't think it does. j 2 E. wouldn't know. We don't have any Java experts here, so that's why we're drawing a blank. We'll
1: have to get Pat Hines back on the line. Yeah, according to Pat,
0: they didn't have... doesn't have that. At least at this taping, anyway. You uh, mentioned security. What are there? Are there other security concerns uh, with ASP.NET?
2: Well, you know that is, again, a lot of things that you need to think about, and kind of what we talked about right here, right? With you know making sure you're encrypting your connection string in your web.config file. Okay, that's that's a good practice. Um, obviously, you can put it in the registry. That's more secure. Okay.
0: I stay uh, away from the registry wherever possible. Amen,
2: brother. Yeah, but you know what? there are <laughs> There are a lot of good reasons to use, it. and I think if you do it effectively, you can use that
0: but: Well, a big problem is you know if you if you have to repave your machine, those settings are gone, yep. so you have to have a way to you have to write some extra code to pull all your settings out of the registry and store them locally and put them back in if you that's need right. to, and then you know that brings up the issue well, then why use it at all? so right unless you want to you know you really want to hide something, yeah that's a good place to hide things, right but uh, not very accessible.
2: Now, one of the major things though, and one of the big arguments that security experts I mean we went through this because we have been doing some work with some banks. Okay, mm-hmm. and their security auditors came in and they absolutely forbid us from putting stuff in the web.config, even though they know that the, you know, that IIS has got that file so you can't get at it,
0: right?
3: Right. right. But
2: they said it's still a part of the web space. Okay, it's still part of that website in, in the web space. Okay? Yeah. And I like the idea of putting things in a text file. So what we did Okay, this is kind of a cool technique. You might want to think about this. Create an XML file, put it in a different folder outside of the web outside
0: space. Outside the web space, right? Yeah.
2: Then you use ACL and lock that baby down so only a certain user can get at it, right? Yeah. Then mm-hmm. you can put your connection strings in there.
0: Access control list. That's what I'm the acronym police.
2: I'm sorry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, the problem is you can't open that folder up to AS- the ASP.NET user, which is the security context under which we run, right, in-, in an ASP.NET web app, okay? But guess what? The old tricks that we used to do still work. There's an API call you can make to, lo- to say, log on user and actually run as a different user for a short amount of time, okay? Um, it's actually documented in the help for .NET, and if you look up logon user, there's an API call, and then look up Windows what is it? This class is Windows Impersonation. Yeah. And what they do is they allow you to impersonate a real user for a short amount of time and then you can revert back to who you were before.
0: You have to pass the password in?
2: Yeah, user ID and password that you put in your code. Okay. So that way it can be just a special ID and password, kind of a golden user type of thing, right? All right. Log on and his as him temporarily in your running code. And then you pass over, you get the data out of there, okay? And then you revert back to the ASP.net user. That's very cool. Nice yeah. technique. So that's one of the techniques that we had to use because, obviously, you know, working with a the bank, they're very secure about things like that.
1: Hey, Fats, you going to die or what? Yeah, I'm uh, having a coughing fit. Sorry about that.
2: <laughs> Sorry about that. It's
1: okay. Sorry, Paul. No, that's cool. Yeah, I'm better now. You sure? Boy. Yeah. You're gonna drink I some whiskey. I way
2: over here in California. Yeah, yeah. Better bring, bring me a bucket. Uh, drink
0: a little bourbon. That'll clear that right up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> have
0: a little gumbo. <laughs> I'm getting in the mood for New Orleans because we're going down there to Dev Connections in uh, about a month or so.
2: Oh, that's right, Dev Connections coming up. Yeah,
0: gonna have some fun down there.
2: Yeah, that's hey. a good conference. I haven't been at that one in a couple of years, so.
0: Are you going to this one?
2: I'm not. I, I wasn't able to make it this time. I'm gonna be. Uh, I'm, I'm doing some, something else on that one.
0: Oh well anyway. Sunny day is gonna be at our booth down there. He's gonna be Helpful. uh doing magic and juggling and stuff. All right. So if you're down there, stop on by. And yeah. uh I've I've handpicked a lot of great uh, great talks for the V B track, so I really want people to show up and say hi. We were thinking nice about having a dot net rocks party for listeners anyway. Hey, cool. Stay tuned for that.
2: That'd be cool. So now, I'll you- get I'll get some abstracts into you next time, Carl and we'll you <laughs> get okay. me on the speaker list for that one. Absolutely. I did that two years ago. I had a blast. So yeah. Yeah. A good crew down there.
0: So what do you think VB programmers should be learning? VB net programmers should be learning? What skills?
2: Oh, that's a good question. You know, I mean, because I, you know, I teach a lot too, just like you guys do. And um, probably to me, the number one thing that they really need to start learning is object-oriented programming. Yeah. You know?
0: True and objects
2: find that people really don't understand you know this this concept that we've been talking about here actually is abstraction and right, wrapping right. things up into classes right you know i think that's probably one of the skills that it's is most lacking.
0: it's an art form it really is there are times when your hard and fast rules are going to break down and you have to understand when those are and you you know you, it's a balancing balancing act absolutely you can you can take it too far in any direction
2: Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree. But that that to me is probably one of the, the first areas, you know. To um, tell you the truth, I mean, I think VB.net programmers need to learn a little bit about C Sharp as well. Because I
3: there's agree. still a lot
2: of code out there, you know, that's written in C Sharp. And you have to kind of understand the syntax a little bit so you can still read that code and then, of course, translate it to VB.
0: I, I completely agree. I've been uh, telling people that. Uh, we were just speaking with Andrew Brust. I was uh, last week. And we said the same thing. People should learn how to read C-sharp, uh, VB programmers, VB net, And the really you can really do it in an hour or two. I mean, you can learn the basic uh, how to identify code, you know, how to look at code and understand what it's doing, how to follow it. It's really not that different. Right. Especially right. if you've then, seen any JavaScript or anything.
2: So. Yeah, JavaScript would be another area because when you start writing web apps, and not everybody's going to be writing web apps. I mean, .NET has an excellent story for desktop applications. Oh, yeah. Windows Forms is fantastic.
1: That's true. I'm I'm glad glad to hear you say that. that. Yeah, me too. Oh,
2: yeah. It is, and I think, you know, but but when you do get into the web space, and I think a lot of VB developers are going to be, that, you know, JavaScript is going to be very important for you. I agree. And I think one last area is um, XML. Yeah. You know, I think XML. You're going to see it. It's it's just prevalent all over the place in .NET. When you're looking at config files, and it just is. You've got to learn you, the basics of it. You know, you don't have to know every little thing. You don't have to understand everything about an XML data, you know, uh, storage and X, XSD files. But you need to know enough to really be able to look at it and work with it. And that is an area where case sensitivity comes in again. Absolutely. You know, and a lot of yeah. V programmers have a lot of problems with that.
0: And uh I think schemas XSD schemas are probably the most important thing to understand how to read um in XML. I mean the rest of the stuff it's all pretty much generated we can look at it and understand it. But schemas are very very powerful and they are as I've said before the new data contract uh of the future. We need yeah. to uh really need to see what what those things are.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So you got any favorite um utilities, downloads, uh fun things, or even third party products that you really like that you want to uh share a link with the listeners?
2: Yeah, I'll try to I'll try to think of some of the links. I mean, let me bring up my little little guy here. Um tell you the truth, the probably the number one site that I go to is MSDN. You yeah. know, I actually go to MSDN.microsoft.com right. and I do a lot of searching on that. Um obviously I go to Google as well. Um, sometimes Stephen they got Fort- better links than Microsoft does.
1: Right. I usually go to Google first. Uh, yeah. Stephen Forte just showed
0: us uh, www.google.com slash Microsoft. It's <laughs> a Microsoft-centric Google search engine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anything in the world you want to search at Microsoft, do it through there.
2: That's cool. That's cool. So I actually I really do use Microsoft's website a lot. Um, I like God.net, although, unfortunately, a lot of that's C Sharp. Yeah. Um, you know, but I've learned enough about C Sharp that I can still work my way through the samples. But they have a lot of good samples.
0: They do. There. Yep, they have a lot of great samples.
2: And some good downloads. I mean, you know, th- their whole menu system on the Got.net site, you can actually download and use.
0: Have you seen uh, .net 247 or 24-7? Yep. That's a good community.
2: Yep, been there as well.
0: How about uh, uh, vbcity.com?
2: Uh, I haven't been to that one.
0: Yeah, check it out. It's pretty good. Okay. There's a lot of, I would say, there's a lot of intermediate, even beginner, intermediate people there, but there's some really advanced discussions as well. It's uh, they got a great VB.net forum there.
2: Well, that's good, yeah, because I think we we really need some more .dot or VB.net sites out there, you know, VB centric. So
0: funny you should mention that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you guys remember the old Carl and Gary's website? Oh yeah. Yeah, well. I'm uh, I'm doing a new site, and I'm not saying that it has anything to do with Carl and Gary's, because it doesn't. It's a whole Franklin's Net site, but it is going to be Carl's carlsvb.net homepage, and uh, it's going to be the same kind of li- categorized lists of resources elsewhere on the Internet. Uh, so while there's not going to be any content there, I hope to make what will eventually become the search engine or the list of resources for VB.net programmers on the web. Your
1: one stop shop.
0: Yeah. So we're that's gonna give it a wonderful. shot. We have some uh some uh so a little bit of seed money from Microsoft. They helped us out thanks to Eric Ewing. Cool. Shout out there. And uh, it's not up yet, but it will be soon and stay stay tuned for that.
2: Well that's great. Eric's a good guy.
0: So have you used any alternate environments besides visualstudio.net there there's a couple out there i know delphi is coming out with one right there's also a there's also one mark help me out here the same guy that did the um the utility we were talking about a, just about a month ago uh i can't remember what it was now oh yeah it was the xml comment creator right 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 those guys have an environment for oh uh, really yeah a programming environment for dot net wow. i don't know if it's free or not but
2: I'll try no, to find. I haven't used any. I mean, I, I looked at Web Matrix. Yeah. Um, which you know, to me, was like, well, gosh, if I got Visual Studio .net, why? Right.
1: <laughs> well, it does everything in line. So uh, if you want, if your goal was to to write in line, it would be useful.
2: I guess I just I really can't see the benefit of writing in line versus code behind. I mean, there's me really either. no performance benefit. You know, it's like you're going back to ASP days. It's like why?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's for the people who are you know text pad centric. Let's say yeah notepad centric.
2: Right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, you might want to check out my website. Um, you can sign up for my newsletter. I do have a monthly newsletter that I send out with tips and tricks on Great. .NET. Great. Um, and then I have a tips and tricks folder as well. And it's like every time I speak at a user group or anything I come up with, I just put it up on my little tips and tricks site.
1: web is fantastic, isn't it?
2: Oh, it is. It's fantastic.
1: Are yeah. you still doing videos these days, Paul?
2: Yeah, I am. I'm actually doing them with a new company uh, called Blast Through Learning. It's actually blastthroughlearning.com. Great, and um, actually, I teamed up with uh, Allison Balter and another buddy of mine, Bruce Jones, and we're all um, we're using a lot of my courseware and Allison's courseware that we've written on .net, and just putting all of that down onto videos. It's actually mostly on CDs these days, obviously. Hmm. You know, you just plug it into your computer and watch right online. So, do
0: more people buy videotapes or CDs?
2: It's about fifty-fifty still. Really? Yeah. I kind of would have expected it to kind of shift over by now Yeah. to CDs, but it's still about 50-50. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of interesting.
0: Any plans to do DVDs?
2: Um, I think in the future, but right now they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's fun. You know, I really enjoy doing that. I just, I really enjoy teaching. I really enjoy getting, you know, the word out on things. I write a lot of articles and I speak at conferences and seminars all over the place. And to me, it's just a lot of fun. and you know, as you guys know, when you teach, you learn more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep.
0: Hey Paul, did you uh did you hear the news that uh Yanni and Kenny G and John Tesh died in a fiery uh plane plane accident?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I hadn't heard that.
0: Uh it's not true. It's just one of those wouldn't it be nice kind of things. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just would have been a big yawn anyway. Yeah, you know, whatever. Well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, uh, any last-minute wisdom you want to impart to the uh, the Teeming Millions?
2: Oh, boy. You know, if you haven't gotten into .NET yet, what are you waiting for? <laughs>
0: That's right.
2: We love .NET. It is. It, it rocks. It's real. It
0: is. It's real, and, and, you know, here's the deal. Man, saving time and money is what it's all about. That's right. Yeah. It's now about working smarter.
2: productivity really increase incredibly once we started using this.
1: It's about working smarter. It's about uh, doing less code to do the same thing. Well, I tell students, .NET will make you look smarter. Absolutely.
2: Yep, yeah, I agree.
1: You'll spend less time in front of your
0: CRT, so your eyes won't be bloodshot. You can wash your hair once in a you while. You can wash your hair once Well, only if you're using VB.NET, right? Right. You can <laughs> notice that Paul has nice, fluffy hair. That's right. You know?
2: Still got it. He has their time, age, but I still got it.
0: He has time to bathe every day, as yeah. do we. <laughs> All right, you guys, we're gonna wrap it up here. So uh, thanks for being on the show, um, man. Just an incredible uh, resource of information you are, and uh, thank you.
2: Well, thanks, guys. Hey, this has been fun, and maybe we'll do it again sometime in the future.
1: Oh, okay. we'd love to, Paul. It's been a real pleasure. All yeah, right, take absolutely. care, guys, and say hi to Ken for us.
2: We'll do.
0: Okay. Alright, bye bye. Good night.
3: Good time,